The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Well, hello and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'll be your host for today, kind of a spiritual journeyman and media producer type guy. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com, and I'm at the Center for Spiritual Living Greater Baltimore at cslgreaterbaltimore.org. Joining me today is my spectacular co-host, Spiritual Rebel Sarah Bowen. Sarah is the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose with a new book coming soon. I can't say I can't say it, but it's coming soon. Hey, Sarah. <laughs> you can say it's coming, Jim. <laughs> it's coming soon. It's coming soon to a theater near you. Well, not a theater. <laughs> not a no, theater right no, now. No film yet. I'm doing okay, Jim. I'm, I'm a little pandemic weary, but spring is coming. Yes. And that feels really, really good. I'm seeing people posting pictures of daffodils oh. and crocus. And all I still see is snow, but there is hope. There is hope. And the temperatures, at least for us today here, are, are very nice. You know, it's it's so nice to be able to stretch out and walk a little bit more. You know, I, I do miss, I miss going to coffee shops. I really do. I love working from coffee shops and I do miss that. So I'm looking forward to that opening up once this whole pandemic thing is done. Yeah, I miss chance interactions with people. Yes, I feel like we're a little guarded right now, so I'm looking forward to uh, getting back to to meeting strangers. Welcome so to we've got a great guest today, Erica Allison, who's going to talk about her experiences of being told she couldn't be who she felt she was. Yes, it's going to be really interesting. I'll, and, uh, you know, I have you ever had that experience where when you were younger, did you ever get, uh, you know, were you ever told that something you wanted to become or or be? who you were was not acceptable? I, I had a lot of that. You know, I was one of these tomboy kind of girls. And, you know, all, all of the things that we know about gender now, you know, didn't apply in the 70s sure. <laughs> where I lived in the middle of Nebraska. But I remember things like my mother having to sew pockets into my pants because girls, girl clothes didn't have pockets. Which has always we, been ridiculous. That was a really, that's a very, very early memory. And then I remember a lot of messages about what career I could be or not. Um, later in life, you know, questions about sexuality, all sorts of things. But the thing that stands most out to me is I remember telling my father that I wanted to grow up to be a psychologist. 
And my father was a minister and a marital counselor. And I remember him saying, no. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, it, and I remember how that felt. Yeah. There was something that I was really interested in doing and something that my soul was calling me to. And my father was fabulous, right? He probably had, had just come off a bad counseling session, you know, when he said that. <laughs> But, but it stuck with me. And yeah. I think what's what's salient for me today and, and also from reading Erica's book is the messages we receive externally about who we are don't often match the messages that we that we feel inside or that we feel from God or from spirit about who we are. And the, the tragedy that can happen when people try to do things to change that. You know, I think it's a cautionary tale, and I think it's also a, a tale of great hope, not only when we're talking about queerness or gender or, you know, those kind of identity things, um, but just in general, how we treat each other and how we treat each other's dreams. Definitely, definitely. And I, I find it really interesting. You know, it is a lot of people, our parents and families and, and friends even, you know, whatever their motivations are, they don't necessarily come from a, a motivation of wanting to harm you know they, they sometimes it's really about them wanting to help it's just not what we need that's and a really really good point jim it we're coming from our own place of our you know implicit bias and what we've been told and what's been normalized in a society and things like that so yeah it's not about demonizing folks for sure but understanding what is helpful and what's not yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I my entire life I've been a media person. I I mean, I say that literally. In elementary school, I was part of a media program. In the sixth grade, I was programming my own television network in my mind. You know, oh, I, I'm serious about that. I really, really was. I was yeah. I was creating the shows. I was putting on a schedule of what it would look like. This is ridiculous stuff for a kid, but. You know, I, I always knew that I needed to be in media and I really, I couldn't fathom any other path for me. And you get those messages that, you know, that's, it's crazy to go down that road. You know, it's, it's too perilous. And I, I'll admit that it has been challenging at times, but I really, I, I can't, I, I could never foresee myself doing something else, some other path. I mean, I've obviously had to do things you know, at, at times that were not in my calling, but, you know, it's always been my path. So I do, you know, I do understand, you know, the feeling of, of being blocked in a sense, whether without maliciousness, but, you know, just having that experience. Yeah. And, and the idea that I think about this a lot, the idea that we know better about someone or something or what's good for them, then they might know themselves and that their relationship, their spiritual relationship, you know, what, what enters into that. So I've learned in my later wiser years to be a little more cautious about projecting onto people what I think they should be or how I think they, you know, identify themselves as well. That's a really hot topic right now. And we're learning a lot that those of us that went to school in the 70s, 80s, even 90s, didn't get schooled on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we didn't. And we're seeing the we're seeing the impact of that all around right now with people not understanding um, identity. Yeah. What, and what I love about you is that you uh, just before we came on, um, you were talking about uh, having a counseling session that you were giving with someone. 
and that's you know it's full circle it comes around to what you wanted to do in the beginning you you you're going your soul's path yeah i had to get healthy first so perhaps my father knew a little bit <laughs> <laughs> you know the wounded healer kind of thing but we i think we do come back to these things i never thought i would be clergy for sure right if you had asked my a 13 year old sarah if she was going to be clergy she would have had a couple choice explicatives for you so, you know, listening to that calling and finding out and not running from our identity pieces either. Yes, you know, very I, important. I, I ran from questions about my sexuality for many, many decades, and that was detrimental. Sure. So I think, the, I think today's interview is important uh, for people who may be LGBTQ or may not be and just want to understand this topic better. Absolutely. All right. Do you have any quotes for me today? Do you have a quote for me? I do. Okay, here we go. Being true to yourself in your deepest nature is essential. Just as a tree, a bush, a flower cannot live without roots, we cannot live without being firmly established in our souls. The soul should be nourished and cared for, just as a gardener nurtures the growth and well-being of his garden. Prayer, meditation, kindness, and love are ways to nourish the soul, the root of our being. Mm. That There's a lot wonderful. in there, isn't there? There is a lot in there, yes. <laughs> That's Wayne Teasdale from his book, The Mystic Hours. And, and Wayne Teasdale is, is one of the folks who helped coin the word uh, interspirituality, which is the, the path that's uh, increasingly important to me. So I thought I would bring Wayne in today. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. What do you got? Human identity is the most fragile thing that we have, and it's often only found in moments of truth. Alan Rudolph. Oh, that's nice. How fragile is it? I don't know. Is it fragile? It's fragile in practice, I guess, at times. You know, I think this is one of those both and situations, yes. strong and fragile. Yes. And then, of course, I have Oscar Wilde who says, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Oh, I love that. I hadn't heard that. <laughs> Everyone else is already taken. Yes, we'll be our unique selves. All right. Are you ready for the show? Let's do it. Here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. Hi, friends. It's Martha Creek. I'm looking today at resilience. What does a word mean to you? resilience and ways in this series I've presented here, absolute applicable, practical day-by-day -day interactions on how to cultivate and uplift and up-level our innate ability for resilience. So the idea today in this section segment is to look at how to process feelings. So how to do the opposite of experience of a suppression, depression, disowning, denying feelings, and how that I'm going to find a way then if I'm going to express them, I'm going to do it in saner, more sensible ways. So I may then uh, save my screaming and outrages for in the privacy of my own car. 
to get in there and scream my head off, to express some of these feelings, to take this pressure cooker, the lid off this pressure cooker and let it out, but not let it out at work, not let it out with people, not let it out in relationships, but to see I've got to keep this burned off a bit uh, in order for me to be more coherent and more uh, in integrity and more resilient in how I'm going to work out the wrinkles of our human relational emotional dynamics. It could be done then through speaking, through singing, through chanting, through voice, through some kind of voice expression so that this helps me to cope with the big feelings. It helps me to cope with feelings that could even feel overwhelming at times. I also personally want to grow myself up so that I have a potential then not to suppress the feeling or depress the feeling, but to also not have to express it either. And I've studied and worked with the work of Dr. David Hawkins. So check it out for you. The letting go, letting go, the pathway of surrender and a way to be with these feelings. So to how to have a feeling and the feeling not have me and not suppress it and not depress it and not disown it. So check it out and see what would be possible for you to, in cultivating resilience to actually process feelings, allow for feelings, cope with feelings, and including some things like journaling, uh, journaling, dumping it out, a mind dump, which gives it some space. It could be in the form of cognitive therapy and Byron Katie's work, which you can find at thework.com that you actually use worksheets that express some of this, what I wanted to happen, what should have happened, what I needed to happen, and that we get some insight as to why we're in the shape we are with our feelings. And always not overlooking the fact that today and every day in some situations, I also want to find and uplift and shed light on something that I appreciate today that I would call a more positive experience. So I want to keep some balance in the feelings. Yes, I had grief. Yes, I had pain. I also had a moment of delight or a moment of joy. I had a moment of relief. So even in the grief, there was some relief. So even in the pain, the, the terror, the fear, there was also some relief or some relaxing around it. So not to be blind to and not to fail to notice that there's also positive feelings and positive experiences in my spectrum here. So how will you cope with feelings today in the direction of developing resilience? MarthaCreek.com And now it's time for our interview. Erica Allison is an interfaith minister who helps the queer community and really cool straight people find spiritual liberation and live joyful, authentic lives. After surviving conversion therapy as a gay youth in Texas, Erica found a path to healing her life, love, and relationships. Trained as a mechanical engineer, that's really interesting, Erica sees the world in systems and connections. She discovered that body, mind, heart, and spirit must work together with the energy system to bring about transformation. Erica became ordained through One Spirit Interfaith Seminary. I think Sarah might be connected to that somehow. Um, and through, and she also co-creates ritual experiences with individuals, couples, and entrepreneurs to honor milestones and call in new 
opportunities. She's also a business coach for entrepreneurs. Her mission is to empower the queer community and other marginalized groups to guide humanity towards a more awakened path forward. She's the author of the book, Gay the Pray Away, Healing Your Life, Love, and Relationships from the Harms of LGBT Conversion Therapy. Hi, Erica. How are you? Welcome to Big Universe. Hey, Jim. Hey, Sarah. Nice to be here with you both. It's so great to have you on and, you know, fascinating, very informative and important topic that we're talking about here. Uh, I, I just want to start with a very basic question. Um, for, for people who might not know about this for some reason, what is conversion therapy that you dealt with in the first place? Yeah, definitely. It's a great place to start. So conversion therapy is based on two premises. One is that it's wrong to be gay. <laughs> and second, that it can be changed. And so because those two ideas were intermixing, and usually in a religious context is where those ideas come together, um, there's a, a therapeutic form that was invented that would try to help people change from that way of being to basically help them not be queer anymore. And that's really the basis of conversion therapy. Just statistically speaking, I mean, it's been going on since uh, probably the 60s, if not before. And... Um, what they are finding about outcomes of conversion therapy down the road, now they know more about this practice. It's been completely debunked by any reputable mental health, emotional health organization out there, professional organization, but they're finding some pretty scary statistics that something like more than eight people who have been through this are more than eight times more likely to commit suicide than the oh standard gosh. population. And, oh my gosh. And more, more than four times more likely to be depressed and more almost three times as likely to more likely to have like STDs and HIV and use drugs and like it's just it's it's dangerous. There's there's a lot of negative um, implications of this when it gets into that psychological place of programming like that of telling you that who you are at your core essence is not okay. That's devastating. That's devastating. Um, you know, I guess I'm I'm curious as to what kind of tactics that were used. Um, you know, to so-called make you straight. Yeah. You know, what, what kind of what kind of things did they uh, approaches did they have? Yeah, and I'll only speak from my own experience. Uh, I've heard that there's quite a variety of experiences that people have undergone. Um, mine was your typical religious-based um, in, in uh, intervention, so a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, <laughs> like that came along with it. So the way my experience went was that I, my family found out I was gay. They really um, were concerned because it wasn't in line with their religious views and they really were afraid for my, um, my spirit, my soul, my, my afterlife um, and thought I was gonna go to hell and really needed to help save me. So they went to the pastor, the pastor got involved. He confirmed that this was not a good path for me to be on. And the intervention was let's go to this therapeutic center. Um, mine particular was an outpatient experience. So I just went once a week to a counseling session. And the most significant part that I wanna share is that the technique was really about vulnerability. My experience was I felt that they would look for areas where I was emotionally vulnerable. Like I was 18, so your typical- Who isn't emotionally vulnerable? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So like, where are you sad? Where are you angry? Where are you depressed? Where are you nervous? Where are you anxious? They would be looking for those in our conversation. They would be trying to root those out. And then sadly, they would use those as doorways in to tell me, like, see, if, if you were on God's path for your life, if you were in God's sphere of protection, you wouldn't be feeling sad right now. You wouldn't be experiencing this thing that's making you anxious right now. So it was like very twisted. It was like a twisted way of trying to convince me using my own natural 
uh, you know, emotions that something was wrong and should be changed so that I don't have to experience that. And I really, you know, I'm, I'm interested, you don't really blame your family, it doesn't seem like in the book for for taking you down the that path, which is, you know, a challenge, I think, for some people. What, what, what's going on with that? Yeah, it's, it's complex. I always say this, it's complex. This is one of the hard, it, it took me so long to even call this, quote, trauma, because it was done in a, in a loving manner. So like my parents loved me so much that they wanted to help me. They thought in their mind and based on everything religion had told them that my life, if I followed this path was going to be hard and it was going to be, um, you know, I was going to go to hell, like all these things that were terrifying to them. So it's hard for me to look at them with complete condemnation because I can just see like they, they did the best that they knew to do. And it was motivated by love, even though it was hurtful at the same time. And you talk about identity harm. Um, what do you, what does that mean in general? I mean, obviously this is all identity harm that you, you dealt with, but what, what does that term mean to you? Yeah. Identity harm is, is kind of a term that I've been able to label this whole experience as And identity harm is basically when messages are telling you that who you are in the complete core of your identity is there's something wrong with it and therefore it needs to be changed. That's a harming message to receive at like the essence of your being. And so if your identity is the essence of who you are and people aren't just, it's not like they're just saying like, we don't like how your hair looks. Like they did say that too, by the way, but it was, <laughs> it was my hair was too short. I looked too boyish. All those things were true, but it was more the deeper stuff was like the core identity of who I am is flawed in some way and needs to be changed. That to me is identity harm. And it's significant. And the reason I needed to give it a label is because it's hard to have an experience like that and not have long-term effects yeah, of that yeah. kind of messaging. So what, for you, what are the long-term effects? How have you worked with this? So you were 18 then. Yep. You're a little bit older than 18 now. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I believe you just had a birthday. So you're <laughs> a little did. over 18. Just a so, little. Yeah, 19. So what... I'm sure it's 19. <laughs> it's definitely 19. So, so talk about that a little bit for us. Yeah, this is uh, these. This is one of the more significant parts of the journey, and and the most surprising to me, like really for most of my life. So I was eighteen when this happened. I just turned forty. For about twenty years of my life after this happened, I treated it as really no big deal. It was in my past. I kind of didn't talk about it. In my mind, it didn't work. I'm still gay. Therefore, it must not have harmed me either, right? That was like my logic behind it. And it really wasn't until I've been you know, in my career, in my relationships and having failures, like sabotaging myself in certain ways or not living into my potential in certain ways that I kept kind of bumping up against some edges in my own, like what I thought my life would look like and what it really looked like. And I got curious about that. And it was a coach. I have to share this because I think this is going to resonate with people who might be listening. I had a coach say to me, it seems like you've got one foot on the gas. That's clear. You're, you're trying to go somewhere, but it's like you have one foot on the brake also. What's that about? And I thought about it for a second and I said, you know, I'm probably just afraid of judgment. Like, you know, I had a bad experience with judgment when I was 18. And so the last thing I want to do now is put myself out in the world and face judgment again. And he said to me, most people who are afraid of judgment are actually afraid that something somebody says out there is going to confirm or validate something my internal judge has been holding on to. Okay. I have to get a glass of water with that. I have to, I have to pause for a second. Yes. Yes, I hear you. 
<laughs> and it's interesting because that's so much wider when you're talking about that, Erica, it's almost like it's a universal experience. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. And this is where this whole thing transcends just conversion therapy. That was my unique version of this life lesson. But I think all of us have experienced some message like that in some way or another. And to me, that was such a light bulb because first of all, I was convinced that I didn't have a negative inner voice, that the only negativity were these outer voices. And my inner voice was good. Like I was good with me, but it was everyone else who had a problem. And it really wasn't until this question was posed to me that I had to go deeper. And I, I needed to journal about this because I couldn't get there just thinking about it. I had to like, you know, go deeper with writing. And what I discovered was when I really asked myself honestly, like, okay, what do I really think of myself at the deepest levels? That I kind of saw something terrifying. Like what, one of the things that came out in this writing exercise was part of me thinks I'm a monster. And, and I think I'm a monster because only a monster would kind of quote, harm my family in that way, like cause them such pain by being who I am. And only a monster would go against what God wanted for my life. Like that's what the demons do. They go against God who am, I must be a monster. And while my rational 40 year old brain was like, that's ridiculous. You're not a monster there was still a part of me that had internalized these messages and was carrying that around at like some subconscious place. So every time I would overlay a positive thought of like, I am successful, I am, I'm great at relationships, I'm a lover, all these things, there's this other part of me that was like, and you're a monster. So it really made it hard. That was the one foot on the gas, one foot on the brake at all times. So how did you break out of that pattern? Hmm. That's a great question. What I had to do was actually finally for the first time admit that this was a traumatic experience. That was the first step. And, and you know, I think there are other forms of healing that also start with the first step of admitting that there's a problem. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it might sound familiar. Um, familiar with a few of those, yeah. <laughs> so, so I did, I had to take this seriously. And, and it took some friends from the outside. It took some trauma therapists from outside who knew what trauma looked like in a way that I didn't know what trauma looked like. And I, in my mind, I was thinking trauma was like that really bad stuff that happens to those people and it must not be me. And it, it, just, it took a therapist to say to me, you know that their conversion therapy is trauma and you, know, you have a little bit of PTSD because of this experience. I'm like, what, how is that possible? But that was the door. It was, then I took it seriously. I started really looking and tending for myself in a way that I hadn't before. I got deeper help that I needed to treat this more therapeutically. And then it just opened the door to, you know, I talk about it in the book, but there's this kind of rainbow path that I ended up walking as my healing journey. Yeah, we're definitely going to dive into to the rainbow path, uh, you know, in the second half of our program. Um, I'm curious, you know, we just have a minute or, or two before we need to take a break. But um, when it comes to breaking out of the pattern, you said writing and journaling was helpful to you. Tell me what you mean. Yeah, I think, I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but I have a very active mind. <laughs> and, and, and I would even say that it got a little heightened because of the conversion therapy background. And the, the reason I say that is because my family didn't really approve of my emotional, uh, physical, spiritual self, but guess what was approved of? My mental self. If I was smart, if I was successful, that got all the seals of approval. So of course I was gravitating towards that place where I was receiving approval. So I began to handle everything through my mental space. And because of all that, the necessary way for me to get beneath that and go deeper required me to do some things like writing or journaling or something that would get beneath my rational explaining storytelling brain and get me to a place of like, but what does my heart have to say about this? What's my deeper truth around this topic? Wonderful. We'll, we'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I have 
tougher than me. Greater power than I have used. More life than I have lived. More strength than I've known. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Well, welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're talking with Erica Allison. Um, so I want to ask you the impact that conversion therapy and, and the identity harm, um, how did that impact your relationships as you move forward? That, that ended up being the theme I focused on in the book. And the reason for that is because that was where I really saw the biggest fingerprint of this long-term residual wounding. And so the best way I can describe it is like, if you've ever heard the term serial monogamist. So serial monogamist is like someone who like I wasn't really interested in one night stands. Like I really wanted to have deep loving relationships with people, but I was putting so much pressure on the relationship to fill this longing that I had for love that I just, I wasn't, I didn't receive. I didn't receive the validation and the love telling me that who I am was lovable and, and worthy and, and great. And so I was really putting the pressure of relationships to fill that for me. And what it would create was this situation where I'd find somebody who I'm like, oh, this person, they finally get me. They finally see me for, for who I am. And um, I would take in the love and it would be good for a couple of years, but there would come a point when like they're human beings and they're responsible for their own lives and it would fail in some way. Like I wouldn't receive all of that love to fill that hole in me. And I would, instead of looking within and saying like, oh wait, maybe I need to do some filling of this hole. I would go external and I would say, well, this might, must not be the right person. And I must need to keep looking for quote, the one. And so like that kind of led to this string of committed longer term relationships that never ended, that, that never, um, you know, turned into the long, a long-term relationship because it would fail in my mind. And so what ended up happening was I discovered that that love hole that I was feeling like that deep longing to feel loved and validated and know I'm lovable I'm the only one who can fill that. Like that's a me and God issue. Like we got to solve that one together ourselves and my higher self and that whole channel. And um, it was a hard lesson to learn and it took a heartbreak for me to figure that one out. Um, but when I did figure it out, it changed everything. It literally was a spiritual awakening for me to realize like, oh my gosh, this whole time, I thought I was freely loving others. And what it really was doing was I was using others to try to fill something in me and not really letting them be free to be them. I was needing them to be something and it was never a recipe for success. And so that was really how it showed up in relationships. A lot of people pleasing, a lot of me not really feeling I could say my full truth because the risk of me saying my truth was that they might leave and I might feel that abandonment again. That was the same kind of abandonment I felt after conversion therapy. So thankfully I started noticing those patterns, but it really was, it was repeating for a while there. So I became aware of it. Interesting. That's a, that's really interesting. So you, you have a whole path that you teach to help people create their, their own journey to self-discovery and healing. Um, and you call it the rainbow path. I, I, I thought we might dive into that um, and, uh, and just uh, get the essence of that. Um, so R for in rainbow start, uh, starts with reality, check your story. What do you mean by that? Yeah. And, and by the way, as an aside, rainbow is like 
the gayest acronym I could think of. So it had to be rainbow. Like, I had to go in that direction. <laughs> and then I just made all the words fit with rainbow. There you go. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so the R in rainbow is the reality check. And that's kind of what we've talked about a little bit of there. There's a point where you have to take a reality check of, wow, I did have an experience that was traumatizing. And I like to talk about that, you know, this isn't conversion therapy was my version of this, but I believe this could be something as simple as like, if you're that kid on the swing who somebody tells you that you're too fat and you're going to break the swing when you're eight years old, or if you're, you know, like if you're that person who's been in a marriage for a long time and, and the husband neglects you because they just don't feel like you're, uh, you feel like you're not lovable. Like this met, these messages can happen in so many ways. And I think we blow them off a lot of times. Like I kind of blew off conversion therapy. I blew off the messages that I wasn't okay thinking that they weren't that big of a deal and I've grown up and I've overcome them. But the reality check is like checking in with yourself and saying, am I still carrying around old messages? Even if I don't believe them in some way, maybe part of me does still believe them. And part of me is still holding on to those negative imprints that I received from some random place when I was in, on my life's path. And, and so it. many random places, I think too. Yes, definitely. Right. We, Jim and I were talking about that in the banter in the beginning, and I, I was thinking about all the messages that I was given about how I was not feminine enough yeah. and the impact of those over, over decades. They you know, add up. What, we're, yeah. we're sensitive. We're sensitive beings, and we may have tough shells because we need them to survive in the real world, but it doesn't mean those messages don't go somewhere within us in our psyche and lodge there and stay there and like whisper in our ear at times in ways that we don't want them to. I had a, a therapist tell me one time, um, well, actually several times, where's, <laughs> what's the evidence? You know, when you're when you're going through these these circles in your mind and you, these things that are coming up, you know, what's the actual evidence of reality or not? And I think that's what you're talking about in a sense with the reality check, um, because you're you're saying, okay, I'm I'm feeling this, but what what's what's really real out of this, and and why do I feel this way? Yeah, it's a, it's a double reality check when you put it that way. Reality check number one is be getting real about what messages and voices are still there, that you yes. really haven't outgrown them, even though you think you have. But then the second side of that, which I think is what your therapist was getting at, is and checking in with those messages that were from old times and seeing, are they still true? Is, that, is there still evidence that that is true, that I'm unlovable? Of course not. So prove that to myself, and that message goes away. A is assess your relationship readiness. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, so the assess part, the A of rainbow is if, if it's true that there's been some kind of a harmful message when you do the reality check that you're still holding on to, the A is how is that still affecting my life today? How is that showing up? And one of the clearest ways to assess, in my opinion, is by using the four body system, assessing your physical body, assessing your mental body, your emotional body, and your spiritual body. And basically seeing like, are those out of balance in some way? Have I leaned into, like I told you, I leaned more into my mental body. That created an imbalance for me. My emotional body was pretty underdeveloped by this point because it was never given any attention, but my mental body was giving it a lot of attention. And so the assess is really like, there's some exercises in there that just help you see what's out of balance for you. Are there places in you that aren't receiving enough of your attention that are just not, um, just not where, they, where you would want them to be to be a whole thriving individual? And I integrate your past. What are, yeah. what are I'm curious about what that, what you mean by that and, and what might be some tools we can use for that. Yeah. So the integrate is important on two levels. One is like, you know, Dr. Dan Siegel, others who are in the fields of, of psychology and healing, they will all point to integration as this key to healing. So it's not about 
taking parts of you that happened in the past and basically like disconnecting from them or saying that was wrong or that was bad or I wish that had never happened, that doesn't lead to full wholeness and healing. That's still a part of me. Like this thing happened to me. And if I were to disconnect from it completely, I wouldn't be my whole self and honoring my whole journey. So the integration is really the wholeness. It's like, how can you bring these parts that might be out of balance and bring them together, bring them into current day, grow up that in my, in my case, I needed to grow up a rebellious teenager self that was still living in me, that was still holding my mom's face to the carpet and saying like, you will, you will learn from this and never do it again. Like I had to grow that part up and integrate that with my adult current self that is, you know, confident and thriving and knows that she's lovable. That's the integration. It's like bringing all these parts together and into current day. And then N goes into, into that ooey gooey place I love. Of <laughs> nurture your North Star. So can you talk a little bit about what your North Star is? You know, what is the, the spiritual kind of aspect to that? And I'll ask, what role does being an interfaith minister have in there with your cosmology? Absolutely. Yeah, this is really where I put on my interfaith minister hat. And this section is important to me because some of us in the queer community, or I maybe even will broaden that to say anyone who's received messages from a religious context that were harmful or offensive, if they're like me, like I had a tendency to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I'm like, if that's religion, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And why don't, while I'm at it, I don't want to have anything to do with spirituality. None of it. Like that's all, it doesn't approve of me. I don't approve of it. And what I noticed by going through life kind of in that way was that I was missing a big part of myself. Like we are spiritual beings. My belief is that we are spiritual beings having this human experience. And if I'm not in touch with that, with my spiritual self, I'm, I'm not able to fully get to healing. And so the nurturing the North star is like, how can I come to a place in my spiritual alignment that is actually big enough to hold all this? Because I believe I was given an image of God that was way too small. It was just way too small, way too narrow, way too constrictive. And I would never be able to make peace with that God, but that there is a vision of God out there that is bigger. That is, you know, Ken Wilber talks about the three faces of God, the, the infinite and the intimate and the inner, like all of these, when you start to broaden your experience with divinity, with sacredness, there's something there that is now inclusive where it was ex exclusive. And that's really Nurture Your North Star is a series of explorations of like, how can you find a North Star for you that feels truly aligned, truly encompassing and in, in inviting and welcoming of who you are. And the North Star is individual to you. It's not, it's not necessarily a, a path that's laid out. It's something that's individual to you. Is that right? 100%. It's, and, and it's kind of a journey of how to find that. And, and we talk about in that chapter, we talk a little bit about the mystical side of what religion's pointing at, right? Like these deeper truths that religions are pointing to. And for me, that's really where I've come to a place of home in this more mystical version. Mystical, the way I'm talking about it, just means a direct experience, a direct personal experience with this higher force, whether it's the higher self or the infinite or whatever that, the, the I am presence, like whatever that is coming into to true relationship and communion with that. Jim, she just said force. Oh yeah, we always just have to point to let out you know when that. It, we just have to point out when anyone says Star Wars. says Star Wars like <laughs> language, we have to point it out. You're going to so, need a big universe bingo card, I think, for players at home. <laughs> now that's a great idea. You know, I'm wondering just just to go a little further on in what happened with your relationship with the religion you were raised with? Yeah, that's a great question. 
if I would have taken it at the way that it was presented to me, I think I would have always had a um, adverse relationship with it. But thankfully, as I just, so I, let me just say this. I feel like sometimes when, I, when, you're, when one is rejected from a system that exists, there's a silver lining blessing to that. And that is I was forced to explore. I was forced to dive deeper. I was forced to go seeking for something that made sense to me because I didn't fit into the thing I was given. And because of that amazing opportunity I had to go seeking, I discovered all different versions of theology that I wouldn't have never found otherwise if I would have fit in the traditional box. And when I did that, that's when I started finding things like A Course in Miracles, for example, which provides a different way of looking at all of these biblical verses. Teachers like Richard Rohr, teachers like Cynthia Bourgeau and Matthew Fox, like people who are rooted in the Christian tradition, but who don't see it in the way that, you know, that this kind of like conservative Christian presentation is provided. They, they have that more, that wider, more mystical view, that deeper view of what this means. When I, when I was able to come back to Christianity from that perspective and through those lenses, I found it's fascinating. It made sense to me in a way that my childhood religion never did. It's almost like I breathed a sigh of relief, like, oh yeah, that's Christianity. Like that's what I always knew it to be. It just was never, I was never shown, shown this or taught this. And that was transformative in many ways because you became an interfaith minister. Totally. And interfaith was important to me too, because what I really found the best doors for me, it wasn't one, it wasn't just, I didn't get there just with Christianity. Like there was a Buddhist part to my path that really helped me get into this place of, of silence and stillness and inner contemplation and presence. And I ended up landing on one of my favorite practices, which is called centering prayer, which I, I kind of jokingly term, it's like if Buddhism and Christianity came together, it would be centering prayer. So there's, um, there are some there are some more contemplative traditions to things like Christianity that that I was able to find were a better were a door for me into a deeper place. Build your inner compass when we start to be in rainbow. What, yes. what is an inner compass, and what do you mean? So one of the one of the longer term harms of conversion therapy for me, and I don't think this is unique to conversion therapy. I think a lot of experiences can cause this harm, but I was told and taught not to trust what I was feeling inside. In my case, it was a little more aggressive. It was like, Satan is trying to trick you. Do not trust your emotions. That is Satan trying to tell you that you like girls when really all what Satan wants to do is get you to be away from God. So like I was basically told early on, don't trust those inner knowings, those inner feelings, those inner truths that were like really resonating for me. And oh my gosh, that's so hard. That's so hard. It, doesn't, it just hurts to even hear it. Yeah. How do you, how do you live a life with that? Well, that's it. And that's really why I, why I kind of um, escaped the mental place because that's, you know, those, nobody was telling me that what my mind was telling me was wrong. They were telling me that what my, you know, my emotions in my body were telling me were wrong. So it's it, it, the building your inner compass. I mean, the consequence of this was I was going through adult life, trying to make decisions without tapping into that compass. I was like, oh, should I date this person? I have no idea. So sure. <laughs> like, you know, there was no like, referenced frame there for me to check in with myself and my alignment and my resonance and say like, is this really good for my path and purpose? And it's taken me a while to come back to that. And in the book on, in the chapter about build your inner compass, I kind of provide some ways that people can start tapping back into that and trusting themselves again. And one of the interesting discoveries for me was when I finally realized like to make some space to listen to my heart, my heart didn't like shout. It, there's not like this booming voice of like, hello, I am your heart and I'm here to give you all the answers. 
it was so quiet because for so long I had not listened to it that it was like when I made space for it, I'm like, hello, are you crickets? It was like crickets. And I, I had to really spend time with my heart saying, no, really, I'm listening. No, no, really, really, I am listening. Like, let's do this. And it, it, it had to come back online and start realizing that I was going to listen and I was going to pay attention and I was going to trust and care for that part of myself. So it was a process, the process to rebuild that inner trust and knowing and learn to trust yourself more than anyone else and learn to know that your authority, you're really the only one who can have that authority for you. I mean, you and your higher self. When I say you, I'm talking about the divine you. Um, but there's not like these external voices, like a pastor or a you know leader who knows more for you, what's better for you. Gosh, a booming voice would be very helpful if it was so, if, if it was, if it was so, uh, so easy. Yeah, that, would it, that is such a key point. I remember, you know, I even for so many years that the L word love, the word love for me was such an uncomfortable word because it had been used in a very conditional way. You will receive love if you do, you know, what I want, or if you be what I want you to be, or that we've received a lot of, of those kind of messages. And I think there can create this, this big brick wall around the heart. Like, no, you're not getting in here. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, we, we lock the heart in and we lock everybody else out of it. So I think your chapter O of open your heart to love really gets at, you know, how do we do that? How do we do that when we can't hear the heart or, or we've willfully decided we don't want to hear it? Or it's been hurt because, you know, we had it open and somebody, you know, whether it was intentional or unintentional, like I still say that what happened to me with my family was unintentional, but it still hurt my heart and it still made me want to shut that down. And so, yeah, how do we how do we open it up again? And why even should we? Like, what are the consequences of not having an open heart when we go through life? It sounds like a nice, safe way to go through life. Like, it sounds pretty cozy to me. Like, just keep the heart closed. You don't ever have to be hurt again. But, you know, any of us who have tried that. <laughs> not so true. <laughs> right. Might have realized that you, you really miss out on a lot there. My, uh, my partner, Tony Bergens, who invented Journey Dance, likes to say, you can't, you can't selectively numb. Like, I can't say, well, I don't want to feel hurt but then say, but I'd love to feel joy and I'd love to feel pleasure, like all these other things, right? So you really have to make a choice. It's either open or it's closed. And if it's not open, you're not gonna feel any of the good along with the bad. So it's, it's a challenge, you have to have courage. I, I think it's fascinating that the root of the word courage is the same as the root for the word heart. Like th there's no surprise to me that those two words are connected at a root level. The reason that I wasn't attracting people into my life who were like my quote true partners is because I wasn't shining all of my radiance. I was, I had part of it blocked and part of it hidden and I was only shining a part of me. So, you know, what seemed like a match was only a partial match because that's all I was shining out there. And so I would encourage people like it's worth it. It's worth the pain of reopening the heart and risking the, the pain of that possible hurt in order to just really shine who you are into the world and be able to attract to you all that is aligned with who you are and what you are about. And we get to W, work your material. Oh my goodness, do we have to actually put this into practice? Oh, this one, I didn't know this was gonna be work, Jim. I didn't I know. know either. I don't know. <laughs> I know, it's like, it's such a bummer because now we're like, you know, three quarters, four, four fifths into the book and here it is like, guess what? You're not at the end, you're at the beginning. <laughs> But it's true. I mean, I, any time that programming has been involved, conditioning and programming is a part of the story, which I think it always is. 
if like I've noticed in my own life, if I don't stay vigilant, if I don't keep working on this, and when I hear that voice creep in, if I don't stay alert to that and do my work to shift that into current time, those messages still lurk. Like they're lurking in there trying to drag me back into old stories and old times. And that's really what the work is about. It's like, how do you stay vigilant? How do you stay awake? And it's, it's not meant to be work as like a slog, you know, it's meant to be work like this is your opportunity now. Like you've just, you've just awoken to a new um, awareness and you can stay here and you can be in this vibration of attracting love and, and living in joy. It's, it's here for you. Um, and it just takes staying awake and staying aware of these, um, these old patterns. And it's just old patterns. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's just old patterning that we have the power to overcome and we just have to be aware of them and pay attention. So from a practical sense, since we love to get practical at the end of our interviews, don't we, Jim? We do. Uh, what, what kind of daily practices do you recommend involved in this work? Yeah, I've tried many practices and some I'm really good at and other ones just, you know, I'll, I'll be gung-ho at the beginning and then I'll just fade off because I can't keep the routine going. But one teacher that I loved, his, his, uh, he wrote a book called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. And his strategy was just do something every day to connect to that place of inner peace and silence. And, you know, in this case, maybe it's your higher self. As long as I'm doing something to recenter myself into a place of higher connection, in his example, he just finds one piece of music and he'll put that piece of music on. And while it's playing, he'll say uh, the mantra, he'll repeat the mantra, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. And he'll use his breath. So on the in breath, he'll say, I love myself. And then on the out breath, I love myself. I love myself. And so as the song plays, and as soon as this, I think his song is like, you know, four minutes long, five minutes long, as soon as that song is done, he's good. He did his check and he did his centering and his regrounding. And I have found for myself that if I can go to that place throughout the day, especially if I can go there once, but then if I need to go back there sometimes throughout a day, if a day happens to be particularly challenging, that that can be enough. It doesn't have to be this big elaborate, like, you know, light incense and smudge myself and, you know, anything like that. It really is just a reconnecting and recentering and reminding. It's something that makes me remember who I really am and that I might be bigger than any story I'm telling myself in this moment. Now we just have a couple of minutes left and I'm wondering if you could tell me, you know, what, what are one or two of the challenges that people face following this rainbow path? Yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges of all healing and transformation is that it's way more exhausting than we would think. <laughs> like, like if, you know, I, I always think about like, if I were outside working all day and I came home and I was covered in dirt or sweat, like it would be clear that I needed to take a rest. But when we do this emotional work, it's so internal that we, we don't look in the world like we've just been doing a ton of emotional work. And so my tendency anyways, has always been to just not really make space for myself to rest and keep pushing through, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, go about life, no big deal. But what I've learned over time as a, if I do that, I will get overwhelmed and I will quit in this, this path of awakening just feels too much with everything else going on in my life. I can't do it. So one of the, one of these, you know, advice, pieces of advice I would give to people is make space for yourself to do this work. Take it seriously, like honor yourself, basically that you are in transformation, that you're growing, that you're evolving and awakening, and that it doesn't, it doesn't just like, it took me 40 years to write this story of my life and condition my, to get to this point of conditioning, the thought that I'm going to be able to just, oh yeah, I'll just flip a switch and it'll be different. 
you know, I got to make a little more space for myself to change and grow. So that's a, that's a big one is getting exhausted on the path and um, giving up because it feels overwhelming. And usually the root cause of that is not creating the space and take and, and honoring yourself for how big of a deal this is. I think of the butterfly and the, the chrysalis, like that caterpillar, like literally is, is, is just disintegrated. Like there's nothing left. Like that is not an easy process. So we too have to kind of treat ourselves that we're going through something of that magnitude and, and give ourselves that space and, and honor and, and um, room to grow like that and pace to slow down and take it gentle. If there's one more thing that you could tell someone who's just considering the path, starting down the path, you know, what would you say to them? I would say it's absolutely worth it. <laughs> it's not easy, but it's, it's why we're here. I mean, that's my belief. It's why we're on this planet. Uh, it's, it's what gives life meaning. It's our opportunity to find our own inner liberation and freedom. And, and when you can see the world through that light, I mean, I love the quote that if we don't transform our pain, we transmit it. That's a Richard Rohr quote. I'm sure others have said it too, but it's so true. Like places that I had not done the work and gone on this path to transform, all I was really doing was projecting them onto other people. And I believe that all of us are lovers. Like we want to give love in the world. And all I wanted was to be able to shine love and light to people. And when I was observing myself falling short of what I, what my desire was, like, I want to love you right now, but there's something in me that's blocking me from being able to do that. I'm being triggered by something, or I've got an old demon that is uh, keeping me from loving the way I want to love. That's the payoff of this path is that I can now and obviously it's still a path, I'm still on it and I'm still working on it, but I'm more able now to love in the way that I want to love that feels natural and, and like, like who I really am and what I really want to be sharing in the world. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Erica, for coming on the show. It's been wonderful having you on Big Universe. Thank you both so much. This has been a blast. Erica Allison is an interfaith minister with One Spirit Interfaith Seminary and the author of the book, Gay the Pray Away, Healing Your Life, Love, and relationships from the harms of LGBT conversion therapy. And I have to say it goes way beyond that. It's not just one, one aspect of life. It's, it's for everybody. Um, you can find out more information about Erica at her website, Rev Erica with a K, Allison.com. So Rev Erica Allison.com. For more great information about Sarah Bowen, go to www.spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses and help people create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. Thanks, listeners. I'm Jim Lefter with Sarah Bowen. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. 
Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.